Section 4 of Nuggets of the New Thought. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Read by Jennifer Fournier, Marshall, Virginia, USA. Nuggets of the New Thought by William Walker Atkinson. The Hunger of the Soul. The soul, as well as the body and mind, requires nourishment. The want, a promise of the fulfillment. The law of unfoldment. Nourishment provided when it is needed. Provided for in the divine plan. The feast of good things. The soul, as well as the body and the mind, requires nourishment. We have felt that hunger for spiritual knowledge which transcended our hunger for bread, exceeded our craving for mental sustenance. We have felt soul-hungry, and knew not with what to appease it. The soul has cried out for food. It has been fed upon the husks of the physical plane for so long that it is fairly starving for the proper nourishment. It seeks this way and that way for the bread of life, and finds it not. It has asked this authority and that authority for information as to where this food may be had, where could be obtained the food that would nourish the soul. But it has been given nothing but the stone of dogma and creeds. At last it sank exhausted, and felt that perhaps there was no bread to be had. It has felt faint and weary, and almost believed that all was a delusion and a will-o'-the-wisp of the mind, that there was no reality to it. It felt the chill of despair creeping over it, and all seemed lost. But we must not lose sight of the fact that just as the hunger of the body implies that somewhere in the world is to be found that which will satisfy it, that just as the hunger of the mind implies that somewhere is to be found mental nourishment. So, the mere fact that this soul hunger exists is a proof that somewhere there is to be found that which the Absolute has intended to satisfy it. The want is the prophecy of the fulfillment. Yes, and the want and its recognition afford the means of obtaining that which will satisfy the want. When, in the course of unfoldment, either on the physical, mental, or spiritual plane, it becomes necessary for the well-being of the unfolding ego to draw to itself certain things which it requires in the process of evolution, the first step toward the obtaining of that necessary thing is the consciousness of a great and pressing want, the birth of a strong desire. And then the desire grows stronger and stronger, until the ego becomes desperate and determines to obtain the necessary thing at any cost. The obtaining of that thing becomes the prime object in life. Students of evolution realize this fact perhaps more than the rest of us. The subconsciousness of the plant or animal becomes surcharged with this great desire, and all the conscious and subconscious power of the living thing is put forth to obtain that which is necessary for its development. And on the mental plane the same thing is true. The hunger for knowledge, when it once possesses a man, will cause him to cut loose from old environments, surroundings, and everything else which has held him, 
and he forces himself to the place where that knowledge may be obtained, and he obtains it. If he only wants it hard enough, he gets it. When we think of Lincoln in his boyhood days, painfully and laboriously striving for knowledge, lying on his side before the log fire and reading his book by the light of its flames, and this, after a hard day's work such as only the boy on the farm knows, when we think of this, we may understand the effects of a strong desire possessing the mind of man or boy, woman or girl. And this hunger for spiritual knowledge and growth, from whence comes it? When we understand the laws of spiritual unfoldment, we begin to understand that the ego is growing and developing, unfolding and casting off old worn-out sheaths, it is calling into operation new faculties, exploring new regions of the mind. In the superconscious regions of the soul are many faculties lying dormant, awaiting the evolutionary hour of manifestation along conscious lines. As the faculties approach the hour of birth into the new plane, they manifest an uneasiness, which is communicated to the subconscious and conscious planes of the mind, causing a restlessness and uneasiness, which is quite disturbing to the individual in whom they are manifesting. There is a straining for expression, a reaching forward for development, a desire for growth which produces something akin to pain. All growth and development is accompanied by more or less pain. We speak of the beautiful growth of the plant, of the lily, and wish that we could grow as easily and as painlessly as it does. But we forget that all growth means a breaking down, a tearing away, as well as a building up and adding to. The lily's growth appears painless to us, but if we were endowed with keen enough vision, with clear enough sight, with a power enabling us to feel that which is going on within its organism, we would be made aware that there is a constant change going on, a tearing down of tissue, a using up of cells, a pressing upon and breaking through of confining sheaths, all meaning growth, development, and unfoldment. We see only the birth of the new parts and lose sight of the pain and destruction preceding it. All through life is manifested the growing pains of development. All birth is attended with pain. And so it is with the birth into consciousness of these unfolding spiritual faculties. We feel an uneasiness, dissatisfaction, yea, even pain, as we strive to call into conscious life these children of the soul. We feel that desire for something needed by our inner self, and we seek for it in all directions. We exhaust all of the pleasures of life, so-called, and find no satisfaction there. We then endeavor to find comfort and solace in intellectual pursuits, but without obtaining that which we seek. We pore over the writing of the philosophers and learned writers of the past and present, but find them as but husks to the hungering soul. We seek in creeds and dogmas that comforting something, the need of which we feel, but of the nature of which we are ignorant but we find no satisfaction there. 
We perhaps go from creed to creed, from philosophy to philosophy, from one scientific theory to another scientific theory, but still we hunger. At last we get to a position in which we feel that life is not worth the living, and that all is a ghastly mockery. And so we go on and on, seeking, ever seeking, but the quest is fruitless. Man on the physical plane has a comparatively easy time of it. He lives as does the animal, he thinks as does the animal, he dies as does the animal. The problems of life fret him not. He does not even know of the existence of the problems of life. He is happy in his way, and it almost seems a pity that he must be disturbed from his state of animal content. But he must be disturbed, not by you or by me perhaps, but by the inevitable law which is working around and about him and in him. Sooner or later in the course of his development he must be awakened, and he awakens upon the mental plane, and here his troubles begin. On the mental plane, everything seems beautiful for a time. Man finds himself a new being, and he goes on and on, feeling himself a very god and reveling in his intellectual powers. But after a time, these things cease to satisfy him. The unfolding of the higher faculties begin to annoy him, particularly as he cannot explain them. His intellectual training has perhaps taught him to believe that there was nothing higher than the mind, that religious feelings were nothing but the result of the emotional nature, and that he had outgrown all that. But still, he feels that something within, never ceasing to annoy him, never ceasing to intrude upon his intellectual consciousness certain feelings entirely contrary to his theories. He has grown to doubt the existence of a supreme being, and having read Heckel's Riddle of the Universe, feels that the question has been satisfactorily settled for all time, and that the answer to all of life's problems may be found in the tenets of his creed, materialism. But somehow he is not at ease. He feels the pressure of the growing something within, and becomes quite restless. This goes on from time to time, and he seeks the truth in all directions, rushing from one thing to another in his desires to satisfy the cravings of the soul, but all the time denying that there is anything to be found. After a time, he becomes aware of a new state of consciousness developing within him, and in spite of his mental revolts against any good thing coming from within, he is forced to accept himself in his growing state, and to realize that he may possess a knowing other than that of the intellect. It may take him a long time to accept this, but so long as he rebels against it and struggles, so long will he feel pain. And only when he catches a glimpse of the true state of affairs does he open himself up to the divine unfoldment going on in his soul and joyfully welcome the tearing away of confining mental sheaths, which destruction enables the newly born faculty to force its way into the conscious mentality. He learns to even aid in the unfoldment by holding the thoughts conducive to spiritual development, 
and thus assists in the bringing forth of the new leaf or flower of the soul. It has always been so. Man has gone through stage after stage of unfoldment, suffering pain each time as the old sheaths are burst asunder and discarded. He is prone to hold on to the old sheaths and to cherish them long after they have served their purpose in his growth. And it is only when he has reached the stage that many men are now coming into a knowledge of that he understands the process of growth and is willing and glad to aid in the development instead of attempting to oppose it. He falls in with the workings of the law instead of trying to defeat it. Life is motion. We are moving onward and upward throughout the ages. Man has passed over miles of the path, but he will have to travel many more before he sees the reason of the journey. But he has now reached the stage where he may see that it all means something, all is a part of a mighty plan, that this is a necessary stage of the journey, and that around the bend of the road are to be found shady trees, and a brook at which he may quench his thirst and wash away the dust of the last few miles. The hunger of the soul is a real thing. Do not imagine that it is an illusion. Do not endeavor to deny it. If you feel it, you may rest assured that your time is coming, and that there will be provided that which will satisfy it. Do not waste your energy in running hither and thither seeking for bread. The bread will be provided when it is most needed. There is no such thing in life as spiritual starvation. But instead of seeking without for that which will nourish you, look within. At each stage of the journey, the traveler will find enough to nourish him for the hour, enough to sustain him until he reaches the next stage. You cannot be denied this nourishment. It is part of the divine plan that it be provided for you. If you will look for it in the right place, you will always find it, and will be saved much seeking and worrying. Do not be impatient because the feast is not set before you at this stage. Be satisfied with that which is given, for it suffices your needs at the present moment. By and by you will reach the stage when the feast of good things will have been earned, and you will be invited to feast and rest until you are ready for the next stage of the journey. The great spiritual wave which is now sweeping over the world brings with it great wants, but it also carries with it the means of satisfying those wants. Do not despair. End of section 4